Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Go ahead and write this down. Use your pain and the upward life. Hopefully you're in, Gen- in Exodus, sorry, chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, it's an, it's an interesting passage. I, I didn't want to get into it, but for some reason when I was driving over here, the Lord reminded me of this passage. So I added it real quick and just to read it. Exodus is a very interesting, obviously an interesting book um, because of the Exodus um, of the Hebrew people from Egypt and so on and so forth, from all the years of captivity. But... We know how God in Exodus uses Joseph, and as he uses Joseph to help save the Hebrew people. Um, but something happens with Joseph where Joseph now uh, passes and a new Pharaoh, and he forgets the Hebrew people, and he forgets Joseph, and he forgets what God uh, did and, and who these people were. And I just want to kind of just touch up on that because there's one verse, one sentence specifically that God reminded me of today. And for some reason... I just felt to read it. In, in verse 8, it says, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. And he said, Look, he said to his people, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. He says, Come, verse 10, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies. They will fight against us, and they will leave the country. Verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to, listen to this word, to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. Verse 12, very important. But the more they oppressed, everyone say the more they oppressed. So the more that the Hebrew people were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. More pain, more gain. So the, is, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more they were oppressed, the more they spread. The more pain they received, the greater growth that they encountered. And that's a, that's a powerful statement as we see that in the life of the Hebrew people. I want to share a message today and it's titled Use Your Pain. It's called The Upward Life. And, I, and, and part of this is, is found in Philippians. Actually, where I'm going to be staying is found in Philippians chapter 3. And you could turn there and you could just wait for me there for a moment and we're just going to stick to this passage and we're going to read again uh, verse by verse through chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, Um, There's so much meat, there's so much information, there's so much knowledge and so much um, even theology, so much stuff for the Christian, for the believer of Paul's day and even today to really look at and to apply and to study it in our lives. But before we jump into Philippians 3, I kind of wanted to give you a little rundown about the book of Philippians because sometimes you read a letter from like, let's say Paul, since we're using Paul's letter today. And we read this letter and we read this wording, but we don't really recognize 
some of the history and some of the stuff behind the letter and why it's written. We just say, oh, it's Bible. It's not just Bible. It's actually a real letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to the churches of this area of Philippi. So we got to understand sometimes the writer. We have to understand who it's written to and the scenery of why it's written. I'm not going to get so in depth, but at least to give you some sort of foundation of, so you can understand this. Now, one of the most interesting things about the, the letter of Philippians is that Paul writes this letter during a time of imprisonment. And most likely when Paul writes the letter to the churches of Philippi and he writes the letter of Philippians, he's most likely imprisoned in Rome. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because we're using a series of messages that we're preaching here, a theme of messages that we continue to, to um, dig into, and it's use your pain, we're calling it. Use your pain, use your pain, use your pain, use your pain. And we're going to look at some context that is written from the Apostle Paul who is actually writing a letter to the church in the midst of pain. So that means that his words have a lot of weight because he's writing them and he's voicing through pain and in pain. He's writing a letter to the Philippian church while being in prison in Rome. And why would he write a letter to the Philippian church? Well, the church of Philippi was very important to the heart of Paul. Does anyone know why the church of Philippi was very important. I mean, I know all the churches were important to Paul. I know that Paul cared for every single one of the church. But when you read closely through, like, first, like, through the Corinthian letters, through the Galatian letters, and then through the Philippian letter, you start to recognize there was something strong in Paul's heart, something significant in the heart of Paul for the church of the Philippians. Does anyone have any idea of why that would be? So it's, it's cool, it's, it's, it's unique. And, and what was the special significance? Well, it, it's the first church that was founded in that area of Europe. And it meant something to Paul when he took the gospel to that area. It was almost like, like a father treating his child kind of thing, you know. It, it, was, it was like his baby, you know. It was like, like this is my prayer. I, I remember the foundation. I remember the starting of this church. This church means a lot. It was the first church that we started in this area of Europe. And, and you could see where this transpired if you take notes and you like to go back and forth throughout the week, which you should. We see the story of the church of Philippians found in the book of Acts chapter 16. If you remember, there was a lady, I believe her name is Lydia, and she had some other women that worked with her. You guys ever heard of Lydia in the Bible? And she was a woman that was known for making something very expensive. She made purple cloth with that purple dye. It was a very expensive dye and they would make the cloth with it. And she was a seller of purple cloth, of purple garments made and dipped with this very expensive dye. The gospel entered into the church of Philippi through this woman called Lydia and through this group of women. I mean, if you ever study the Bible, you'll recognize, and for all you ladies, I'm giving you a shout out here for a moment. God uses the women mightily, especially we see it mightily through the New Testament church. I mean, the women of God are, 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 is, is where a lot of these churches are starting to be birthed. It's through, it's through the women saying, yes, I'll open my house and we'll start a church over here in my living room and God honored um, Paul honored and God did too obviously a lot of these women in his writing you look at Paul's writing and he's always thanking these women why because they were crucial they were pillars in the Christian in the in the Christian church there were pillars and you still you, you see you see little snapshots of it even in the Old Testament, with, and you see a very important women in the Old Testament, from Moses' mom to Sarah. To, I mean, we could go down the list. I mean, 
every, uh, every powerful man, you could, you could also speak about a very powerful and respected woman from Old Testament to New Testament. And I believe that even still today, God is using men and women across the world to bring the good news, plant churches, to win souls, and to do mighty works all throughout the land. Amen? And Paul had something special for this place. And, and Lydia, this seller of the purple cloth and these women that were around her, they, they played such an important role in this church of Philippi. And, 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 and Paul loved Lydia and the women that were around her because they were what God used and the ones that God used to start this church. If you remember Paul and Silas as well, as, as they were in one of his missionary journeys, they were also imprisoned. Uh, I don't know if you remember this story, but um, uh, uh, there was a girl that was a fortune teller. And what she was was actually demon-possessed. And Paul casted the demon out. And some of the people that were making money off her were like, hey, we have a big serious issue here. We're not making money off our fortune teller because you casted the demon out. Well, long story short, Paul and Silas both end up in prison. I mean... All, Philippi was very special to Paul. And they were, they, were in, they were even in prison there. In this very, where the Philippian churches were in Philippi, they were also in prison there. But when you study the story, you know that God did a miracle and delivers them. And, um, and if you remember, he proclaims the gospel and even a Philippian jailer comes to accept the Lord. Don't, he, he tells everyone not even to kill themselves and don't kill yourself. God's going to do a miracle here. And, and even the jailer gives himself to the Lord. And, and, um, and, and all these amazing events happen in this area. He visited the church of the Philippians many times if, if, throughout his journey. And, um, and in chapter 4, actually, verse, uh, I think it's 15 and 16, we see his heart for them because this was a church that would support Paul and would bless Paul. And it's why Paul was able to continue to go on in his ministry. Listen to this. In chapter 4, verse 15, he says, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help. When I first brought you the good news and I then traveled on to Macedonia, from Macedonia, no other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, if you remember, he writes letters to the church of Thessalonica as well. He plants churches there. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, listen to what he says, you sent more than once. Isn't that beautiful? I don't say this because I want a gift from you. So I'm not saying this so you could send me another check. <laughs> but rather I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. It's almost like thousands of years later people are going to recognize how generous the, Philipp the Philippian church is. The reward is still being spoken about today. The work of Lydia is still being spoken about today. I just think it's so powerful. Amen. Paul has a reason, a purpose in writing this letter. And he's concerned for the church, the Philippians, that they would continue. Everyone say continue. continue. That they would continue to progress, continue to grow in their faith. And we know that. We know that because he introduces that in chapter 1, verse 25. He's worried and he's like, I need you guys to be strengthened. Continue to go on in your faith. Continue to grow. And when you study the book of Philippians in its small chapters, four chapters, in my Bible it's just two pages. When you study... The letters to the Philippian church, you'll see that there is a concern. He wants them to continue to grow, but there's also conflicts within the church. I love this because I'm raging about the Philippi church, but the Philippi church also had issues, also had problems. 
We know that there was two women, I shared this one time in one of the men's group, there was two women that rose up against each other and they started to cause conflict within the church and they started to divide one of the Philippian churches. And Paul had to correct that. I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names, but it's in chapter 4, verse 2. And these two women caused problems and, and, and Paul had to confront that and speak about that. But, but when you study the church of Philippians, they are a healthy congregation compared to the churches of Galatia and the churches of Corinth, especially Corinth, poor Corinth. We always speak so bad about them, but, but there are brothers and sisters. They, they, they held on. They continued, but there was some crazy stuff throughout their immature years. But, but we recognize that the church of Philippi wasn't as intense or as troubled as those churches. They were one of the better ones. But so I, why did I say that? Because now that they're better than the other churches, right, they're better than the other churches, are, are they to relax now and rest? What's the answer? No, you don't relax and rest, church. You don't relax and rest because you looked around and you read some of my letters and you recognize that some of the other churches are worse conditioned than you. That doesn't give you a free pass just to rest and relax. And, and Paul is going to urge them and strengthen them and actually tell them with a strong no. The answer is no. You don't rest and you don't relax. Because why? The world is crooked. The world is evil. What, he, what we would see in scripture as the word as perilous. The, the world is perilous and it's falling. And, it's, and because the world is perilous, you as a church in Philippi, you have a gospel. The world is perilous, but the gospel that you hold is glorious. And Paul had to tell that you can't just sit back and rest. There's a crooked, there's a broken world and you have a gospel which is too glorious. Don't just be happy or let's use a better word, content with just your past achievements. This is why I said, Tito, come up here and at your 42nd year, talk about why it's better today at 42 than it was at 22. Why? Because he's experiencing greater glory at 42 than he was at 32. Why? Because you don't stay in your past achievements. You continue to mature and grow through the years. The Christian walk in life, it gets better as we get older. Because we're growing each day and each moment. And Paul is strengthening the church to do this. Don't be content. And I say that as well to you. Don't be content because of your past achievements. If your story ends with, woof, 10 years ago, God delivered me from drugs, sex, and alcohol. And then you're like, and what is he doing today? You can't answer that. There's a problem when you're still speaking the stories of 10 years ago and you don't have no stories for today. Come on. You see, the question is not anymore what God did for you in your testimony 10 years ago. That's a good testimony. But what did God do for you last night? What did God do for you yesterday? Because when someone says to me, what is your testimony? It's really hard for me because I say, which testimony do you want to hear? Do you want to hear that I used to smoke behind my house, man, a bush with some of my friends and smoke weed and hang out with girls? Or do you want to know that actually with serving Christ, has been more difficult to walk in faith. I could give you greater testimonies in Christ than greater testimonies when I was outside of Christ. So, so we need to understand, like, where are we? What is God doing? How are we growing? How are we maturing? Some of us are so immature that we're still waving the banner and the flag and the testimony of what God did to us when we first got saved. But I'm telling you that the process of salvation, yes, you got saved. But just because you got saved doesn't mean that sanctification ends at salvation. Sanctification continues from the place of salvation. You don't have to continue getting saved, but you need to continue being sanctified. And the process of sanctification is an ongoing testimony. Don't say, hey, I got saved 20 years ago. Good. Now talk about your sanctification process. Because I know if you have a sanctification process, you got a story to tell. Amen. Hey, Philippi, I'm glad you're content with your past achievements, but I have a letter to write to you. What? 
Keep going. Where? In the call that God's called you into. And this is what Paul was doing. This is what Paul was speaking to the church of the Philippians. You have a gospel that's too glorious. You should write that in your notes. I have a gospel that's too glorious in a world that is too perilous. So what does Paul tell them in chapter 3? I'm going to fast forward to rewind. You know what he tells them? I mean, if you want to cheat, you should. Maybe you should, but he, he eventually tells them, you need to follow my example. In verse 17, depending on what translation you're reading, he says, imitate me, follow me, or pattern your life after me. If you were very religious, you would say, oh, you're not supposed to follow man. You have a religious spirit, oh, you're not supposed to follow man. Listen, if Paul was my spiritual leader, I'm going to follow Paul. Because in following Paul, I'm going to know who Christ is. I, I, I know what that phrase means, you're not supposed to follow man. I get it. But I'm not in denial that God put certain men and women in my life to draw me closer to the Lord. Amen. I'm not in denial of that. And I honor those people in my life. They're not my God, but they're my God-given gift in my life. All right, why do I say that? Because Paul tells the church what? Imitate me. Follow my pattern. Follow my example. What does that mean? He's going to show them something. We've preached that here for so long. We don't have to get so deep into that. So we're going to start off here in a moment. And let me just give you some thoughts and let me, let me just release from you some things in my heart. Paul's letter to them was to push them forward. Everyone say push forward. Push forward. Yeah. To push forward, to continue pressing on. We've been speaking about use your pain. And some of the pains that are being endured here, I'm going to speak to us right now. I'm not going to talk or speak of the church of Philippi. I'm going to speak about Nest Church for a moment. Some of the pains that are being endured here in our family um, is destroying some of us. Um, it's destroying some of us and it's dimming the fire that once shined bright in some of us. Amen? I, 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 when I wrote down my notes, I knew there was not going to be one like, Amen! Because who wants to hear that, you know? It's dimming some of the fire in some of us that once shined so bright. And some are walking away from Jesus and some are becoming distracted. Listen to this. Some are becoming distracted by lesser things that don't stand in comparison with what Christ has for them. So as pastor of this house, of this family, I will echo Apostle Paul in verse 14 of chapter 3 that we're going to get into. And he says to them, press on. Everyone say press on. He says, press on toward the goal. And this is my verse. This is my foundational verse for this message today. It's Philippians 3.14. So you could put that as a verse of the day, Monday through Friday next week. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If that verse means anything to you, can you say amen? amen. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on. Everyone say it one more time. Yeah, press on, press on. What is he saying? Press on. He's saying keep running. Where, where, where do I keep running? Ready? Keep running. Everyone say where? Keep running. Where? Press on. Keep running. Where? Press on. Keep running. Where? where? Paul says toward the goal. That's where. You run toward the goal. You run toward the goal. Everyone say what's the goal? You see, Paul's writing has a development. Paul's writing has a development. You guys know that, right? 
It's statement after statement after statement. Why? Because from the, it's like Jesus, man, when he would tell a story. It's like, I'm going somewhere with this. Don't, take the popcorn out and bring out your slushies. I'm going to go somewhere with this, and you're going to learn a big picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Just let me get through it. So Paul says, ready? Press on and keep running. And you say, where? And I say, towards the goal. And you might say, well, what's that? Where and what is that? Where do I run to the goal? And what's my goal specifically? And, and, and it's, a, it's a very important verse, chapter, four, chapter 3, verse 14, that Paul is saying in Philippians. Because if you look at Paul's heart and his writing, what is he telling the believer? And what is he telling this church right now at the end of this year? He's telling us that you're not called to go sideways or you're not called to go backwards. There is what? There is an upward call of God in Christ Jesus for your life. How many people start the journey, but in the journey, they start going sideways. They start taking all these different avenues. For some of them, they think it's shortcuts, but no, none of that. All that stuff is disastrous. How many people go forward, and in going forward, they eventually turn back, and they start going backwards. They're like, hey, where are you going? What are you doing? You're going the wrong way. How many do you know that have started the race, but have detoured along the path, along the journey? And Paul is writing to the believers, press on, keep running, Towards the goal, you're not supposed to go backwards. You're not supposed to go to the side. Why not? Because there is an upward lifestyle that God is calling you to. Today's message, yes, it is use your pain, but the message is titled the upward life. If God is calling you to live in any direction, guess which direction it is? Upward. It's the upward life. It's forward and upward. The upward call of God. So whatever the pain, whatever the burden, whatever the distractions, listen, because you're not the only one in this room that's sitting here that you could possibly think in your mind that you're the only one with pain and burdens and distractions. Trust me when I tell you this, there's some people that are sitting around you that their lives right now are really sucky. And they're going through it, but they still chose to be here today and to worship the Lord and to come into the gospel of Jesus Christ and learn together. So I say this, I say this one more time, that whatever the pain, whatever the burden, whatever the distractions, please listen to this, none of it is to derail you, dim you, or stop you from running toward the goal. Oh, but I have so much pain. Oh, my God, but I have so much struggles. Oh, my God, but I have so many things. Oh, my God, people speak so ill about me. Listen, stop being derailed from any little thing. You run towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're so easy just to like fall off track. By any wind, by any blow, by, by just any little thing just triggers us. And we're like, oh, I don't think I'm going to worship God anymore. Like, no, nothing should dim you and stop you and push you away. Whatever it is, but you don't know my story. Okay, I respect it. I honor it. I'm not speaking bad about that, but I am saying that whatever it is, none of it is to derail you. All of it is to cause you to what? To run stronger. To, oh, but I'm painful. Good. Now let your running and let it become more intense. Let, let tenacity grow. You with me? Some of the things that we may have put in that have gotten in front of God, and yes, they're important, and they're important to you, and I will respect that to an extent, but it's by no means more important than God or more important than God's purpose for your life. Some of the things that we've put in our lives that have taken the the preeminence over the Lord, by no means is it more important than God. 
I understand it's important to you. I understand it's heavy on your heart. But at the end of the day, you're not answering to me and to them and to her. To, you're answering to this. And when you see yourself in the mirror, none of those things stand into what God is calling you to. Can't be derailed. You have a calling in your life. I wonder if you believe you have a calling in your life today. Come on, happy Thanksgiving. I wonder if you have a, a belief that there's a calling in your life. That when you stand before that turkey on Thursday and you see all those family members and friends, you recognize, I don't know what these people are going to talk about today and I don't know what they're going to mention you today, but I know that as I'm standing in this living room, there's a call of God in my life. So God, what are you going to do this Thanksgiving? What are you going to do with my family today? You know, it's, it, I mean, we're running, we're running, we're not going to stop. God's purpose is for us. There is a prize. You should write that in your notes. There is a prize. There is a prize. There is a prize. Oh, but we don't run this race for a prize. Oh, you keep believing that because I am. I'm running this race. I like to win. And I'm going to get a prize. So you could be the one that says, well, as long as I finish, go finish. I'm going to get the prize. If you want to run your race and, and finish the race without a prize, that's your life. But I'm going to finish the race and I'm going to be looking for my prize. So when you say, hey, where did we go at the end in eternity when we're standing before the pearly gates and whatever, whoever's there, whether it is St. Peter or whether it's my grandmother saying, me, I've been waiting for you. I heard you went to Cuba and whatever. Whoever waits for me at the gates and says, come in, i got to show you Jesus and i got to show you the throne room and all those things. Like, I'm gonna, you're going to probably lose me for a little while because when I get there, I'm just going to go and, and run towards my prize. I'm running a race not just to run it aimlessly and carelessly. I'm running a race because I have an intention to receive a prize at the end of it. Now, I don't run it for a material prize, but I run it for an inheritance that no man could ever snatch away from me. I'm talking about a different kind of inheritance here. I'm running. I'm actually running this race for a prize, and I hope you get that revelation that you are running for a prize. Well, what's the prize? Why am I running? Why am I pressing on toward the goal? Paul says it. You know what then? Paul's a heretic then. If there is not a prize at the end of this journey, Paul's committing heresy. And we need to burn almost the whole entire New Testament because he wrote it all. <laughs> he wrote almost all of it. And Paul says what? You press on, you keep, having got into Philippians 3, hopefully I'll get into it today. You press on and you keep running and you keep running towards the goal. You keep running towards the goal. What is the goal? The goal is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, man. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. You press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. So there is a prize and Paul writes it in Philippians 3.14. And what is the prize then? We're going to dissect this verse for a moment. The prize is what? The prize is the call. And the call is the what? It's the upward call of God. What kind of upward call? It's the, it's, and it's all found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our life is for the upward. Not for the downward, not for the sideways, not for the backwards. Stop living backwards. Some of you are going to work and some of us are going to our families and we're wearing our clothes backwards. And people are looking at you and say, you profess such an inheritance but you look like such a fool. Put your clothes on, right? You're for the upward and you're for the upward and you're for the straightforward. You represent another kingdom. And, then, and Paul is basically telling them these things. Our life is for the upward, the good. Everyone say the good. 
Amen. It's for the upward. But watch this. Just as I say that the good is for the upward, guess what else is for the upward? The bad. The ugly is also for the upward. It's all for the upward. If it's in my life, it's for the upward. <laughs> but some of my story is very slimy and yucky. Awesome. Put it in the cause of the upward and watch how he uses that slimy yuck into something glorious. It's for the upward. Use your pain. It's the upward life. It's for the upward. And so is pain, the bad, the ugly. It's for the upward. So we press on toward the goal. What is the goal? The goal is the prize. And what is the prize? It's the upward call of God. Listen, I'll say this again. The Christian does not walk aimlessly. I'll say it again. The Christian does not walk carelessly. Please know this. We are constantly walking in a calling from God. Not when you die, starting on earth. You are walking in a calling from God. Listen to this. That has multi-dimensional, heavenly, God-hearted, and God-minded assignments. We're walking in a calling that has a multi-dimensional, heavenly, God-hearted, and God-minded assignments. We spoke last week, yes, there's rewards in our pain. And our goal is not just for the rewards or even the reward that is given through pain, but it's for the final reward. It's for the final goal. And what is that? It's the ultimate prize. And what's the ultimate prize? It is that which is only in Christ Jesus. It is to live in eternal rest and reign with the power of Christ and the person of Christ. What's my end prize? The power and person of Christ. That's my end. My end prize is the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And that is what we press on toward. The goal which at the end is the prize that is given to those who have walked in the upward call. The prize, Christ Jesus himself for all eternity. Everyone say, He's my, he, is my prize. he is my prize. Does that sound good to your soul? Yes. The prize, Christ Jesus himself for all eternity. There is a prize at the other end of the goal, and it's what you find Jesus fully given to you, and you yourself fully given to him. That's the final prize, y'all. That's the final prize. That is the final prize. Sometimes it's very cliche, and sometimes it's said a lot, but people always ask it, and it sometimes takes a form of evangelism. But will you take a heaven without a Jesus? Will you take a heaven without a Jesus? Scripture says that the Lamb of God in the New Jerusalem is its light. Can you imagine taking away the light from the, from, from the kingdom? You can't have a heaven without a Jesus because then you have a heaven without a light. You can't have that. Our goal, press on toward it, the goal which at the end... Is the prize that is given to those who have walked in the upward call. It's the prize. And I say again, Jesus is fully given to us and we're fully given to him. And I say this and I, I wrote this down. It should be worth it to you. Why should it be worth it to you? Because it was worth it to him. It's worth it to him. Come on, use your pain. It's a pain that gives weight. 
It's a pain that also gives glory. Do you know why it gives weight, your pain, and you know why it gives glory? And to what it gives weight and glory to? To the upward call. Why am I going through this? Why did I experience this? Because it's weight and glory for the upward call. It's weight and glory for the upward call. Have you caught that yet? It's weight and glory for the upward call. So what do you do? You press on at the end of the great prize it's given to us and it's eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your pain, your life, it's never to go sideways. It's not to go backwards, but it's to what? It's to be lived out and it's to be walked out for the upward call. Listen to this. The upward call would be what now? Magnified and the prize Jesus Christ would be ultimately what? Glorified. You know what God wants? He wants your call to be magnified because in your call being magnified, then Jesus becomes glorified. And that's it. Use your pain. Someone Say that to yourself now. Don't say your pain because then you're speaking to someone. Say, use my pain. Use my pain. It's the upward call. It's the upward life. Use my pain. How many of you can say amen? All right, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Let's have some fun here. Before we go, hallelujah. Amen? Amen. We there? We're good? We're receiving? Everything I just said is in the context of Philippians chapter 3, and you'll see that. Philippians chapter 3, let's go start off in verse 1. <clears throat> Follow with me with whatever translation you are currently on there on your lap or on your device. It says, verse 1. Whatever happens, what does yours say? Whatever happens, yours might say what? Finally. Finally finally what? I'll keep going. Keep reading it. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's good, you know. Notice what Paul is saying here. He says, whatever happens, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it, in this translation it says, to safeguard your faith. To, to safeguard your faith. What, Paul? So he starts off and he's speaking about, hey, hey, there, there's stuff happening. There's stuff going on. You're going to see this in the context of what we're going to read here. But it's a call to find joy, to continue to rejoice in whatever circumstances and whatever is happening, to learn and to live in a place of rejoicing in the Lord. But then he writes this, I never get tired of telling you these things. Or I write some of the same things, not to be tedious, but to keep you safe. It's, do you see how a father could tell this, dad, you're always saying that to me. And you're like, right, because I know better. I, can talk, I keep telling you the same thing over and over so that you could get it in your head. If you're a parent, you probably know what I'm talking about. Or if you've ever been a child, you probably know what I'm talking about. Where your parents tell you the same thing. It's like some of us that go and we try to get advice. And we get advice from a million. It's the same thing over and over again. Why? Because God the Father is telling you the same thing over and over again. So what is Paul writing to the church of Philippi? I'm sorry that I'm being tedious telling you what? The same thing over and over again. Why? Because I want you to get it. It's like when I come up here and I say we use repetition. Why do you use repetition? Why do we say things a lot? Because it brings forth memory. And Paul is basically saying I'm using it for your safety, for your safeguard. And he says, watch out for these dogs. Look what he tells them here. Watch out for these dogs. Watch out for those people who do evil. Watch out for those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Does everyone understand what he's saying here? Watch out for individuals. Watch out for people who confuse your salvation. 
There's people that were coming into the church of Philippi, and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Some of you guys haven't been snipped yet. Wait a minute. You're not really saved. And Paul's like, hey, we're over that stuff. Being snipped doesn't mean you're saved or not saved. This stuff goes deeper now. It's a snipping of the heart, no longer a snipping of the flesh. So, so what's happening here is very important because the church of Philippi, their ears were also opened up to what? To, to other smart guys that thought they had something to offer to the church, which in reality what they were doing was dividing it because they brought forth a different kind of gospel that was the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, be very careful. What does he call them again? He calls them, them dogs, mutilators. They're trying to destroy what we have here in Philippi, he's telling them. Be careful. It's re- it reminds me of what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. What is Peter telling the church? Man, make your calling sure. Make your salvation sure. Make, make it sure. Like Recognize who you are. And if you, if you already know who your identity is rooted in, you're never going to stumble. You're not going to be tossed away, what scripture says, by every wind of doctrine. How many people come in and out by every single wind of doctrine, man, and just get fooled, man. From one day, one, one day someone is, 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 is being filled in the Holy Spirit, and then the next day they're against the move of the Holy Spirit. What happened to you? You encountered such a move of God, and then another doctrine came, and now you went against it? Like, like what, is, what is he saying? He says, be careful for people like that that are going to try to change the way you are learned and have learned. And, and, and Paul's going to pour into this church of Philippi as a father, as a spiritual father. Be careful not to allow any man to sway you. I've been there. I've been there. He says in verse 3, for we who worship, listen to this. I'm going to prove it to you, he tells the church. For we who worship by the spirit of God, we're the ones who are truly circumcised. How does your translation say if you have a different one? Yeah, this stuff is deeper than flesh. It's stuff that's going on in the spirit of man. Don't be fooled by what they're telling you. Don't think that you have to go to the doctor now and get that stuff taken care of. I'm going to show you it's, it's we are the ones and, and we have now confidence in this. It's something that's happening. It's a worship in the, in the spirit. I'm going to give you something that my son, I'm going to just be very honest with you. My, me and my son had a very vulnerable conversation, and I want my family to grow in vulnerability, not just transparency, vulnerability, that we could talk to each other and be willing to lead each other and talk into each other's lives. And my son, he's sitting next to me, he starts to talk to me about something that happened. And I said, son, you don't do those things, do you? And he says, no, of course not. And I said, he's six years old, and he's speaking to me like a grown man here. It was so freaky. So at that moment, I'm just, it's just me and him on the table doing homework. And I said, and why don't you do the things that you just said? And he says, no, no. He goes, you don't do that, right? And he goes, no, I don't, I don't do that in the playground. No, that. I said, what do you mean not in the playground? So, <laughs> so you, don't, you just don't do that in the playground? He's like, no, no, I don't do that in school. I'm like, okay, so, so you don't do that in school and you don't do that in the playground? So what do you mean? He goes, no, no, I don't do none of that stuff. I said, well, why don't you do that? And his first words to me was like, because I'm a pastor's son. So I looked at him with my eyes and I said, I said, Babo, listen, don't ever feel like you can and cannot do something just because you're a pastor's son. It has nothing to do with your life. Because I know when he gets older, some people from the very own church 
will speak bad about my family because maybe decisions that my children make. You see what I'm trying to say? Because they'll carry a lot of weight as pastor's kids. So I said to him, I said, don't ever feel like you can or can't do something because you're a pastor's son. I go, that has nothing to do with anything about your life. So don't ever say that again. Don't worry about that, okay? And he's looking at me like, okay. I go, so why would you not do those things that you just told me about? And he looks at me and goes, I know why. It's because I worship God. It's because I'm a Christian. And I said, now that's the reason why. It's because you're a Christian and you worship God. It has nothing to do that you're a pastor's son. That's a great lesson. That's a great conversation. Now finish your homework before you get a spanking. Okay. But, but that's a great lesson. It's a great conversation to have with a six-year-old. He's not going to forget that. If you go into that back room right now and say, what did your dad tell you? He's, he's going to say, no, it has nothing to do with me being a pastor's son. Most pastors live with their kids like, you need to behave right because what? The church is looking at you. Listen, if you don't like my son in his bad days, then I don't want you to like him in his good days. Who cares? Like, who cares? Like, like it's, it's bigger than that. It's he's got to and she's got to decide for themselves, are they going to follow the Lord eventually? That's it. Not follow a religion because their father is, is no, no, no. It's follow the Lord. What happens if I'm not here tomorrow? What? The whole family just crumbles? No. You follow the Lord. What is, Paul, what is Paul teaching these people here? No. This stuff is deeper than the physical and the fleshful things. This is something spiritual. This is something deeper, man. We worship in the spirit. Amen? Amen. And he says what? He says, we rely on what Christ Jesus says. He says here on, on I think I'm continuing here on verse 3. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence. You know that word confidence there in these next few verses and here in verse 3? It's the word uh, reliance or to confide in. So we don't rely in the flesh. We don't rely and confide in human effort. Verse 4, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, guess what he says. I have more confidence than anyone else who wants to boast about their flesh. What is Paul saying here? He's basically saying, do you know who's writing to you? Do you know my resume? Do you know who I once was? If anyone wants to talk about any kind of confidence of who they were on earth, I will sit with them on a, and drink some coffee with them and I'll put them to shame for who I was, Paul says. So if there's anyone who's going to rely on the flesh, if there's anyone who is going to confide in the flesh, I have more reason than anyone else. Does Paul have reason for saying that? Maybe you don't know because you, you're like, I don't know. Why would Paul say that? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 5 says, let me give you my resume. Let me tell you why in my flesh I could have more reliance and more confidence in my flesh than anyone else that wants to boast. Look what he says. I was, verse 5, circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a real Hebrew. <laughs> if there ever was one. I'm as, you know what he's like? He's like, I am more Hebrew than a Hebrew. It's like, he's like, I'm it. And then he goes on and he says this. He, he says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Mess with me. Come on. If there's anyone here that could boast about their flesh, he says. Verse 7, what does he say now though? Please look at where he's building. Paul, in every single word, he's building something bigger. Listen, you got to understand why. He says, I once thought, everyone say once thought. I once thought these things I once considered. 
I once thought these things that they were valuable. Look what he says. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I love Jose Pereira's testimony. Not because God casted out demons. Jose, I know you don't mind for me to speak up front. Not because God casted out demons. I love it because he recognizes that, wait a minute, everyone that I, everything that I thought was once valuable in comparison now to what I've really found valuable, was it's worthless. It's things that put me to shame. But because I've met Christ now, those things are no longer my gods. And, and I love that about his testimony more than just walking into a house and casting out demons. Because that now is a supernatural internal transformation that has happened in a person. And what is Paul saying? I once thought these things were valuable. You know what the Greek word there means? I once thought that they were gained to me. You know what it means? I once thought this was an advantage to me. But now they are worthless. The word in the Greek there means, or it could mean this. Now I count them as a loss or this. Ready? I, um, now they are a damage because of what Christ has done. Do you see the wordage of what Paul is saying? He's basically saying this. Ready? The things that I considered to be valuable were more damaging than good. They were more damaging than than they, than they are valuable. How many people are holding on to things that they think are valuable, but in holding on to things that are valuable, their life will continue to be what? Damaged. Because that which they feel is valuable, it's actually compared to Christ, nothing but damaging that person. And Paul is saying, all the things that I thought were of value, they're of loss to me now because they were of damage to me. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, as rubbish, so that I no longer count on my own righteousness, all the stuff that I just boasted on through obeying the law, but rather I become righteousness through faith in Christ. Let's break some of these verses down here for a moment, 7 and 8. He's basically saying here in verse 8, please flow with me as my notes are really small in my Bible here. He, he says, this infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, for his sake I've discarded everything else. Your Bible says what? I have suffered the loss of all things. Everything else, I've suffered the loss. And with the stuff that you suffered the loss from, what, is, what do you count it as now? It's dung. It is dung. It is garbage. It's not just the waste that you throw away. It's not just leftover food that you put in your trash can. It is literal poop. It is dung. And you know what dung, you know what you do with a pile of dung? You burn it. It's, it's crap to be burned. Everything that I could boast about, everything that I thought was once for my advantage, everything that I thought was worthy, everything that I thought was valuable, it's actually a damage to me. And I counted it all as loss. I discarded everything. But the way he says it is like this. Ready? I suffered loss. What am I, what am I trying to tell you? Because the life of righteousness can also be a life of suffering. What do you mean by that? It's a life of pain. Why? Because when Christ calls you to obedience to the upward call, guess what? Every tree needs to get snipped every once in a while. And you grab some scissors and you try to cut some branches from your body, see if it doesn't hurt. Imagine grabbing a nice old scissor and sticking your finger on it and saying, all right, go ahead. Cut off my finger. This is going to be beautiful and glorious for the Lord. 
No, it's going to be very painful for the Lord. But it's going to be for the Lord. And at the end, it's going to serve its purpose. But my God, is it going to hurt during the moment that you're snapping that finger? Every tree must bear fruit. And if it doesn't, I love how God has grace with that tree. He doesn't just cut the tree right away. He cuts the branches that don't bear fruit. Don't automatically think that God wants to destroy you. God wants to destroy the things that are not going to cause you to bear fruit. So he starts to cut off your branches. Cut off your branches. But watch this. If, if you don't allow him to do the work of cutting off your branches and you don't start producing fruit, as he keeps cutting branches and branches, he's not going to have no more branches to cut. And the next thing to cut is, well, I guess the whole tree is going to have to go. So the tree at some point needs to bear fruit because it's going to run out of branches because he's cutting branches so that the branches can produce fruit. But he's having grace. With every branch that he cuts, there's grace. With every branch that he cuts, there's grace. With every branch that he cuts, there's grace. 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 But you will and I will and we will stand before him. You're like, oh, you're such a gracious God. He's like, wait a minute. But I'm also a truthful God. You, you guys understand what I'm trying to say? So, so here is Paul, and, and Paul is saying something so beautiful. He, he's saying in verse 7 and 8 as he's building this up, and I thought about this and I wrote this in my notes. Many fear, many fear, as Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, many fear to fully surrender because they know that what they measure as valuable and worth can be stripped away from them. So why should I surrender to God? Because it's going to hurt, man, when he takes away these things from my life. And God just says, you need to trust me through the snipping got to trust me through the snipping it hurts but man i'm snipping and i'm stripping a lot of people don't want to go through pain but compared to what christ will do everything and all of that all that pain all that snipping all of it is worthless what does paul say because of the infinite value that i have found in the one who is my prize jesus christ cut it Come on, cut the finger already. You're crazy. I know, just do it. It's worth it. It's worth it because I'm going I'm to experience Jesus more. Cut it. The New King James reads it this way. I also count all things lost. Look what he says. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Everything that I once thought made me something, I count it all a lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. For whom, look what he said. Paul ain't messing around. Paul is not beating around the bush. Paul is not, Paul is not a sugar-coated apostle. Paul is not trying to pack up the church by giving people things that they want to hear. Paul is saying, I'm just going to tell you how it is. And what does he say? I have suffered the loss of all things. <laughs> but I thought Christ gives you everything. Yeah, but to receive everything, you must lose everything. For the cup to be full, the cup must what? Come to him empty. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things. And what do I do? You count them as rubbish. It's garbage. Why would you do that? Why are you going through that process with Jesus? What does he say next? So that I may gain Christ. My gaining Christ is my losing myself. It's the upward call. Use your pain. Cut your pain. Do whatever you want to do, but, but use it. It's the upward call. Welcome. Welcome the pain. Oh, but I can't no more. Welcome the pain of losing it for the upward life, for the upward call, for the great reward. Why should I do that, Pastor? Because it will be your gain at the end. You didn't like that? Welcome. <laughs> I felt like I lost all of you right now. 
Welcome the pain of losing it for the upward life, for the upward call, for the great reward. Welcome the pain because it's going to be your gain at the end. Amen? Look at verse 9 with me. It says, and become one with him. Lose yourself so that you could grow in intimacy, so you could grow in oneship. Become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. But rather now I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. <sighs> There's something better at the other end of this. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him. I want to suffer with him. What does your translation say? That I may know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. I'll read it from mine and then I'll read it again from the New King James. He says here, and from here we're going to start going down the hill. Uh, You know what I mean by that saying, right? We're not going down the hill. I mean we're going to be finishing off. He says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead and I want to suffer with him. Paul, did you hear what you just said? Can you imagine? Come here, guys. Come here. Come here for a second. Like, don't get up from your seats, but just follow me for a second. Imagine waking up in the morning and you go to your prayer chamber, whatever that is, whether it's your couch, whether it's your bathroom, whatever it is. And you, you get on your knees. You're like, oh, Lord, I come before you on this Monday morning before my week starts. And today my desire is that I will suffer for you. So <laughs> how many of us pray that? That's crazy. Paul, Paul writes something very unique here. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Uh, the New King James, I'll read it one more time. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The message, uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. I gave up all the inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally, experience the resurrection, his resurrection power. Listen to what he writes here. And be a partner in his sufferings and go all the way with him till death itself. Hey, how committed are you with Jesus? All the way. What does that mean? I'm suffering with him until death all the way. He says, so that I will share in the sufferings. Everyone say suffering. Suffering. Do you know that the word suffering in the Greek is the word pathos? P-A-T-H-O-S. Do you know what the word P-A-T-H-O-S in the Greek means? It means this. Ready? Passion. So when Paul writes about his suffering, he's writing about the passion. So Mel Gibson releases a movie and he calls it the passion of Christ. And the whole movie is about Jesus being what? I mean strongly and, and graphically beaten put to shame. I mean, it's graphic, and yet that doesn't even scratch the surface of what probably really happened to Jesus, but he did a very good job in showing it. And that whole process is called the what? The passion of Christ. So the suffering of Jesus on television, the suffering of Jesus in scripture, it's actually translated into the passion of Jesus. So wait a minute. Why would the suffering be in the Greek translated into the suffering in the Greek be translated into the passion because the word passion comes with a word that means affection. Are you guys understanding that? So what, what I wrote this in my Bible. So we share in the affection. What was his affection? What was Jesus' affection? Anyone want to answer that? The passion of the Christ. Remember the movie? Remember the, the gospel? You see all the plays during Christmas, um, during Easter time? What was the affection? What was the suffering? What was it? Thank you. Thank you. It was you. 
So the suffering of Christ, the affection in his heart was what? Humanity. It was us. So what is Paul saying? I want to share in the affection. You want to know why, why Tito says, you know, I just don't like to hang around with people, but now I'm starting to, I love you guys. <laughs> you know why he's he, like, which one are you? Do you not like us or do you like us? No, I'm loving, I'm loving you guys now. The reason why is because if he's sharing in the sufferings of Christ, if he's sharing in the passions of Christ, he's also sharing in the what? Affections. So you are automatically going to have to love what he loves. How do you continue to do what you're doing with the people that you're doing it with, even after they do what they do? Because I share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. You want to know the only reason why we continue to do what we're doing? Because we're sharing in the affections of Jesus Christ. And he's affectionate and he's madly in love with humanity. So when we come into this redemption and we receive the salvation and this transformation happens, now we are Christ on this earth. He's living inside of us. And that which he is affectionate towards, we now become affectionate towards. And we share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Because when you start to do life with each other, you start to also suffer with each other and by each other. Because sometimes it's to the end and sometimes the one who you love will stab you right in your back. But it's part of the passion of Christ. Because Judas kissed him. And who am I not to think that the same one who kissed me will not be the same one that stabs me in the back. I share in the affections of Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are. We share in the affections. Why do you continue? You should quit on them. They suck. No, we all do. But this is what we are. We share in the sufferings. And this is part of it. It's the affection of his heart and it's our affection. It keeps us going. So what do we do? We press on toward the goal. The prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ our Lord. I feel so heavy this morning. It's one of those Sundays I need to go home and take a nap. We share in the affection. This, in the passion. It's a strong emotion. I just want to go, keep going off on that, you know. I think about him all bloody and beaten. He's not recognizable. His beard is ripped off his face. I think about his back open wide, his organs showing, his bruising blood. By the second, he's unrecognizable. He's spit on, he's punched, he's mocked. And all of that is to say, I am so madly in love. And I'm so madly in love, and this is why I'm doing, I'm going through this. It's unreal. The affection he has for humanity. The passion he has. It's almost an uncontrollable emotion that he has for his people. It's rampant, it's wild, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, holy, godly, reckless love he has for us. <sighs> I press on. I, I'm going to skip everything. Uh, I'm just going to read verses. I'm just going to read the rest of it. I'm going to go to verse 12 and just read it and we'll end. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. I've already reached perfection, but I press on. Everyone say press on. To possess the perfection for which Christ first possessed me. I love that. I love that wordage. 
press on. What, what does Paul mean by press on? If you, if you really break that down in its proper language, he basically says, I'm pursuing with deliberate speed. I press on to the goal that's before me. There's a verb, a verb that is used there, I guess you could say in the Greek, and the verb that is being used there is Paul basically saying, I do this, what, continually. I don't quit. I do this continually. The number one indicator that someone may be called into the ministry of the Lord is because they don't have a quitting spirit. They continue. They continue even when it gets hard. And he says, I lay hold. I lay hold. It's, it's basically, it's a wordage that Paul is describing as what? I lay hold. It's almost like I'm seizing. I'm taking hold of an object. I want to grab hold of God as God has grabbed a hold of me. <sighs> Paul's desire is, I'm, and I feel like I always pick on you every Sunday, forgive me. <laughs> but Paul's desire is, as God has hold me, held me, my desire is to also come to find him and hold him back. You know, <laughs> our relationship is not just, tight, tight, you're God. Our, our relationship is not just, oh God, just hold me. Paul's like, I'm, I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this relationship. You know, this is how we, keep on, come on God. You know, a relationship like, oh man, like, God, just keep holding me. You know, how many of us, our prayers are like that? God, just hold me, God. God, hold me, God. Just hold me, God. Hold me, God. God, hold me, please, today again. God, today's going to be rough. Hold me, God. And this is God just, and we got to get to a point where Paul says, I lay hold. No longer is it God holding me, but now I find him. Come on, God. Keep on. But now I lay hold of him. So, so what happens now? What happens now? Watch this. This is the upward life. Ready? This is the upward life. Come on, God. Let's go do life together. Let's go do, it's all, you know, you know what Paul, you know what Paul is almost saying? It's almost a dance with God. Come on, I ain't messing around. So, so this stuff right here, God, is like, not only do you hold me, God, but I'm going to hold you everywhere I go, man. And sometimes, God, the things are bumpy, man, and things hurt, bro, and things are difficult, and we might fall, and we might fall, and we might trip. And things might hurt and people might punch us and stab us. But Lord, I've learned to share in your sufferings. And I'm with you, Lord. I'm going to die with you and I'm going to live with you. And if they broke you, they're going to break me. Because you hold me and I hold you, God. And sometimes, man, it's gonna, it won't last. And sometimes, man, things will put me to shame. And sometimes it's going to hurt. It's going to even affect my family. And it's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt my marriage. But man, God, I'm holding you and you're holding me. And this is a dance of our lifestyle. And we're never going to let go. It's difficult, isn't it, God? We just can't get through sometimes. Sometimes it's a little bit slower. Sometimes it's hard. But then there's days, man, that it feels good. And there's no obstruction. There's no obstruction. I lay hold of that which has first laid hold of me. It's the upward call. Thank you, man. You're such a good sport. I got to treat him to lunch this week or something. But it's the upward call. The upward call is that. It's the upward call. It's the upward call. That is why I was going to go down a rabbit hole. 
hold of him. You seized me one day, Paul, on the road to Damascus. You seized me one day, God, on the road to Damascus. And ever since that day, I will constantly press on to seize you back. <laughs> you rocked me one day on the road of Damascus. And ever since then, your son is going to rock you back. Stop thinking that this Christian walk is all about God in your life. How about it's you in his life? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you showing affection for and towards? The upward life. My God. What verse am I on? All right, we got to go. Worship team, we could do this then. Press on. Brothers and sisters, verse 13, I have not achieved it, but I focus on the one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I have a reward, amen. I press on to reach the end of the race, receive the heavenly prize to which God through Christ is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, verse 15, I believe God will make it plain to you. Verse 16, but we must hold on, hold on, hold on to the progress we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, what does he say now? Imitate, follow my example, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before and I say it again with tears in my eye that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ that are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we, everyone say we. Yeah, we're different. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior and he will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control from weak to strong, from pain to healing and joy. Pattern your lies. I wrote something here. About this appetite stuff. Appetite. Look what I wrote here. It's gluttony. It's a spirit. It's a, it's a gluttony. It's to be given up to the pleasures of the palate. Of the worldly palate. Where your appetite is for the worldly things. He says be careful with people like that. Look at them closely. Their appetite. Their belly is their shame. They, they desire the worldly things. Stay away from them Paul says. They get into the church. Stay away from them. Stay away from them. It's the upward life, the ultimate prize, which in only can be found in Christ Jesus. To live in eternal rest, I said. To reign with the power of Christ and the person of Christ, I said. I will repeat what I said moments ago. This is what we press on toward. The goal, which at the end is the prize that is given to those who have walked in the upward call. It's the prize Christ Jesus himself for all eternity, I said, there is a prize at the other end of the goal. You find Jesus and he's given fully to you and you fully given to him. And I said this, it should be worth it to you because it was so worth it to him. Lord, this is a beautiful thanksgiving I'm entering. It's a beautiful thanksgiving I'm entering, Lord. Because my life is no longer just a testimony. Please listen to this. Please listen to this as we leave. Please listen. It's a beautiful Thanksgiving because my life is no longer a testimony of 
God has held on to me. My life is now a testimony how I hold on to God. That's my thanksgiving heart. I take on, I hold on to that which has held me first. And it's become now in my life years of dancing. You know what the Lord has taught me in his dance? Maori, come here. Because Maori's big and I figure God is bigger than me, obviously. And, and this is not even in comparison to how much bigger God is than, than us. But you know how me and Isaiah were, were dancing? You know, in the beginning of my dance, it was rough. I stepped on his, oh, he's wearing, it's okay. all right. I stepped on his shoes and he would step on my shoes. And sometimes we would trip off each other because we're still learning the dance. Year one, it's rough. It's like me and my wife, man. We dance together and it's rough, man. I love that Tito said, being a husband has been harder than being a father. You know why? Because you're dancing with your wife every year. And some days it's harder, some days it's easier. But my God, you have to learn to dance. Because watch this. If in this dance, if I want to be in control, always, there's going to be problems. And if I grab my wife and I just want to be in control always, we're just going to trip over each other. We're going to hurt each other. But there's some times where I need, to her, I need for her to have her. I need her to have her place and I need to have my place. And we got we to learn this dance together. But the, more, the most important that this illustration is found in is with us and God. Because he's held on me first and I've held on him. And now we are in this relationship. The years of this dancing has taken its growth. It started with just a sway. Because God knew I couldn't go anymore else because he knows what you can handle. He knows that you can't dip yet. He knows that you can't spin yet. So all he does is just sway with me for, so the first few years could have been swaying. Then he says, now watch what I'm going to do now. And then he turns me. And like, whoa. I've never experienced that with God. Do it again. And he does it again. I'm probably doing it the wrong way. I don't know how to dance. And, and it's a process between me and God. This dance of life. It started with the sway. Then I started to pick up my feet. Then I started to pick up my hips with my feet. Then my hands moved. Then I started to dip and then I started to... And it's been years. That's why I said the faith, the walk, the upward life, it gets better with years. Why? Because the dance, the dance intensifies. Once started with the sway and you've ever been to that party, you've ever been to that wedding, there's always that one couple. And his name is Luroc. There's always that one couple that they just outdance everyone. And then you're like, I'm not going to go on the dance floor. Because they own it. But what do you do? You press on. You keep going toward. And the dance will develop. You eventually dance like they dance. That's why when you see people that are at a different place, they're not better than you, but they are at a different place than you. Why? Because they've learned how to honor the dance. 
That's why like these people that bash people and bash pastors that have been, I'm very careful with my lips because they've been dancing for a long time and I'm going to honor their dance. doesn't mean we agree on everything, but I'm going to honor the man of God and the woman of God and their dance because I know that they got some moves that I can still learn from. Guys, our life is laying hold of that which has first laid hold. It's an upward call. And Paul was telling the church, this stuff is deeper. This stuff is bigger. Come on, keep dancing. Come on, press on. Toward the goal, which is the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Use your pain. It's all for the upward call. The pain is to intensify the dance. So that next year's dance looks different than this year's. Can you stand with me as we close off in prayer? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Listen, I know it's getting to that time where your stomach might be grumbling. And, but if you need prayer today and only things that God can do, but you just need someone to come alongside you and hug you and love you and pray and believe with you, I, I'm going to invite you to just come up here right now and we're going to just pray with you. We're going to pray with you. If you need to go, we respect that. We hope you come back next week. Next week is a special week. We're going to be celebrating and just talking about 12 years of doing ministry as we celebrate our birthday of 12 years. But, but right there where you're at, if you just need prayer and you just need to be strengthened and, and you could just stick around and stay for a little bit longer, I want to invite you to stay a little longer if you can and receive maybe some ministry. And say, I, I just want to intensify the dance of this upward call, of this upward life. I just want to share in the sufferings and the affections of Jesus. And the only way, it's if I hold on and lay hold of that which has first laid hold of me. With every eye closed, maybe right now, you don't have to close your eyes. Because you have to walk up here, you have to look at where you're going. But if you feel like, I just need someone to pray with me and believe with me. Don't even worry about it, just come up, we're going to have an intimate moment now. If there's anyone here, hallelujah. All right, let's pray then. No. Lord, we love you, Lord, and we thank you. And Lord, you know every single one of us, Lord, in your heart. You know where every single one of us is in laying hold of you. You know where we are in this dance. Lord, it's been a struggle. It's been hard for many of us. It's hard right now for many of us. But Lord, we're going to listen to Paul's words. Holy Spirit that you gave him. And we're going to press on toward the goal. Towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Not that I'm perfected and I've reached my perfection. But I will continue to to press on and lay hold of that which has first laid hold of me. I pray in this room that every single one of us will learn to lay hold of you. To lay hold of you. And that you take us through what we need to be taken through. And that we would share in the sufferings, in the passion, in the afflictions, of Jesus Christ in the affection 
of Jesus. What an honor it is to share in your affections, share in your sufferings. Lord, here I am with my pain that you know very well. It's my own personal pain. And Lord, I give it right back to you and I say I want to use your pain so that I will continue to magnify the upward call, the upward life, and that in magnifying the upward life, I would glorify and that it would glorify the name of Jesus. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the miracles. Thank you for the work. Let us have an amazing Thanksgiving this week. And as we come back to church and celebrate 12 years and just have a good time together. So, Lord, we love you, Lord, and we thank you. I pray for anyone here right now that needs prayer, that needs strength, that you would wrap your arms around them and that they would wrap their arms around you, that you would strengthen them, that you would speak to them, that they would see, Lord God, that there's an upward life that you called them to and calling them to, and that their pain, Lord God, is actually your glory, Lord. That there's an amazing reward that awaits them. Continue to give hope. Continue to strengthen. Thank you for these series of messages that we've done here in our church. Bless the ones that are not here today for whatever reason. Touch their hearts. Wherever they're at, be with them right now. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And together we say... Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. Hallelujah.